Hello, everybody. Andrew Gomison here with the Speaking for Him podcast. So grateful that you are taking the time to listen to this episode. And I'm super excited about what I have to share with you today. We are launching into our two-part Christmas celebration here on the Speaking for Him podcast. So very thankful for God's preservation over the past year and just excited about what we've been able to do on the Speaking for Him podcast and continuing to broadcast from the home of the Speaking for Him podcast here in my home studio in Howard City, Michigan. Very grateful for the ability to do that and for the equipment that God has seen fit to provide me with. So I just wanted to say thank you right off the top for those that continue to listen and support and for those um, that support financially especially you are very much appreciated, and if anybody would like information on how to support the ministry financially, you can find that at my website. Um, it will run again at the end of the show, but it is www.speakingforhim.com. That's speaking the number for him.com, and all information about giving a donation is there. Uh, but today, I'm really excited because last year, I did my top 10 movies in the Christmas genre of all time. Now, as I approached this year, my thought process was, uh, do I do I do my top ten Christmas carols of all time, or my top ten movie versions of a Christmas carol of all time? And the reason that I was considering doing the movies of a Christmas carol is because my dad... Uh, watches everyone under the sun that he can get a hold of, and it's become a very perennial favorite around our house. From the day after Thanksgiving, basically, and through Christmas, we watch Christmas Carol in one variety or another on an almost daily basis. So it's very much a part of the Christmas celebration, and that may be coming next year. Uh, but I have decided this year to do... 10 of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. Notice I did not say top 10, uh, because as I started to delve into this, I realized that it is very difficult to quantify something like the top 10 Christmas songs of all time when there is so many different Christmas songs and so many different reasons for Christmas songs to be the favorite that it's impossible to break it down to 10 definitively. So these are just 10 of my favorite Christmas songs of all time, and mixed in we'll have some honorable mentions, and each of the songs that I will feature today um, and next week has personal significance to me, and so you'll hear some of that story along with some facts about different uh, songs that I have dug up. So I hope that you will enjoy the next uh, couple of podcasts and you know, if you want to contribute in any way to next week's show and give your idea of a favorite Christmas song of all time or just have a Christmas observation, please take advantage of the contact information that will roll at the end of the show. All right, well, without further ado, I want to uh, get into today's episode, and we're going to start with what is going on. <laughs> All right, well, we will be getting into the Christmas celebration very quickly. 
Uh, but before we do that, I want to talk to you about a couple um, news stories uh, that are front and center um, for me this week. One that I ran across was an interesting and sad story about wreaths across America. Welcome back. Every year, Wreaths Across America honors our fallen soldiers by laying wreaths at their graves. But the decades-long tradition is now sparking protest. A secular group now calling the act an atrocity. Here to respond to that criticism, Executive Director of Wreaths Across America, Karen Worcester. I hope I'm getting the last name right. Is it Worcester or Worcester? Worcester. Worcester, Worcester, like Massachusetts. All right. Uh, Let's get to the facts at hand here. I can't think of anything that should should be less contentious than this. But welcome to 2021. What's your reaction when you learned about this? Well, I think first, uh, thanks for having me on to share. First, I want to address policy and take some things right off the table. Since 1992, uh, 30 years ago, when the first wreaths were placed at Arlington, we were instructed and then learned why uh, to not place wreaths on the uh, gravestones that carried the Star of David. And so that has been the policy. It was the policy in the beginning. And, and when Reads Across America became a 501c3 in uh, 2007, we continued that policy out of respect for veterans of the Jewish faith. And uh, our mission at Reads Across America is to remember on a teach. And for me, it's always been an incredible opportunity that when you're walking down the road graves and you see a Star of David, what better opportunity to teach that child that you have by the hand about the Holocaust, about incredible stories, the people who work with Reads Across America to share stories about the Holocaust, looking around the you know, all of the cemeteries, and we're at 3,000 cemeteries plus this year, and talk about the greatest generation. There's right. so much opportunity to teach. A lot of, you know, it's about just getting the facts out, and we honor those that, that serve all of them and respect their traditions. Yeah, facts in 2021 really uh, sometimes get ignored. Here's what the group that is targeting you has to say. Quote, we have no problem if people reach out and want a wreath on their deceased veterans' graves, but to put them everywhere, to blanket them without permission of the survivors, families is unconstitutional, an atrocity, and a disgrace. Unconstitutional is patently incorrect, but an atrocity and a disgrace. Can you wrap your head around someone saying that about what you are doing, which seems to be the most innocent and welcoming and kind gesture that one can do? Well, I think that one of the things that people need to understand about Reads Across America, we're a national organization, but we're very rooted in local communities. And more than 90% of the donations that are the sponsorships that, and how it works is a person sponsors one wreath to be placed at a grave. And 90% of the sponsorships come from individuals who are sponsoring a wreath for a loved one or uh, uh, somebody that they knew in their community. So it's very much a personal gift. And Again, we just choose to honor and teach. And so I, I think that people need to listen. I think we need to take every opportunity like this to, to, you know, let people speak their minds. The people that we choose to honor died so that people have the opportunity to see things in their own light. But but how I would say to, uh, I would like people to do is to go out to one of the communities where, like I say, we're in every state. Take right. their kids by the right. hand. Pick up a veteran on the way to the services, which are on uh, December 18th this year, and see what's going on because we say the names we're talking about history 
heritage. You know, our children are watching us. Let's let, let's teach Agreed. them Agreed. about men and women that serve and teach them to love our country. And this will make you more resolute in your mission. Karen Worcester, Absolutely. I can get that from the accent. Sounds like you're from Massachusetts as well. Karen, we appreciate it. Thank you. First of all, let me just say that putting a wreath on a grave is a way to show honor and respect. It is not something that is meant to be offensive in any way. And I think that the case could be made that even if someone with a Star of David got a wreath, to say that it was an egregious act or just the most awful act in the world is an exaggeration. But also, this group that's protesting against these wreaths is not telling the whole story because as you heard in that clip, the main method through which these graves get wreaths is they're sponsored by individuals for people that they know. So once again, here in 2021, we are kicking up dust where there is no storm. And I I think it's really ridiculous how we take something uh, pleasant like Christmas and we turn it into this offensive spectacle. Now, I'm not going to belabor this point, but I, I feel the same way often about people that choose not to celebrate Christmas. And let me be very clear. If you choose not to celebrate Christmas, I support your right to do that. But where the rub comes in is when you tell other people that they can't celebrate Christmas. Or you try to say that because of the quote-unquote pagan roots that you are pagan to celebrate Christmas. And I've talked extensively about this on the podcast. My very first set of Christmas episodes, you know, 10 years ago uh, were in relation to different aspects of Christmas, Christmas traditions, Christmas history, and even St. Nicholas. And how even fun with Santa Claus, I believe, can be done in a godly, uh, God-honoring way. So, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that point, but I think this underscores just the fact that we can be offended about anything. And it's very important for us to make sure that we keep the proper perspective on things. Just because you or I don't like something does not mean that it shouldn't continue. And I think we really need to get to a place where we're able to respect other people's beliefs and move on with our lives. Um, The bottom line is that There are certain people who wake up each day and say to themselves, how am I going to be offended today? And the truth of the matter is that I feel extremely bad for those people because those people will never win. They will always be upset. They will always be a victim because there will never be a time when we do the final thing that says, okay, now I know that you're not trying to offend me. And I think, to me, that's the biggest thing that is the problem here, 
is we always say, well, you should do this so that you don't offend others. But they don't get to a point where they're like, okay, you acquiesced to my desires. Now I'm not offended anymore. No, they just keep moving on to the next thing uh, because, by and large, culture tells them uh, to be offended about everything and to not allow other people to have their independent beliefs and understandings of life. Uh, Because even if someone put a wreath on a grave with a Star of David, the goal would not be to offend that person, and the goal would be to spread cheer. And just this idea that... uh, it's unconstitutional. Can we please do a primer on the constitution? Because we have a lot of people saying a lot of different things are unconstitutional without really making a prerequisite of saying that studying the constitution, the constitution largely was not made to limit the rights of Americans, but rather to explain and elucidate the rights that are already existent. And I think that's something that we need to have a greater understanding of as an American people. The next story that I want to talk about is, is we have an ongoing uh, debate on the issue of abortion in America. We've had it since the early 70s, uh, possibly even the late 60s. But it was the early 70s when it was legalized through Supreme Court fiat. And so we have seen over the last several years many states taking sides. Um, We have the Texas um, heartbeat bill, which was put into effect in September and has largely been allowed to continue. Uh, There have been uh, some court efforts on both sides. Uh, But we continue to have information come out about this bill and the way that it is helping to shape the the debate about life uh, throughout this country. Okay, here we go now. Bill Mears, our producer, U.S. Supreme Court. Here is his summary. A moment ago, the Supreme Court uh, will allow a lawsuit by abortion providers in the state of Texas to proceed over that state's six-week ban on abortions. Uh, But the court will also allow the law to continue to be enforced while the case continues in litigation. So it's not been decided ultimately. It is a split ruling that does not deal with the constitutionality of the Texas law. So the ultimate decision now on that law that was just passed this uh, September uh, has yet to be decided. A couple people with us now, Dana, Jonathan Turley, Professor of Law Georgetown with his analysis. And in a moment, we'll talk to Marjorie Dannenfelser as well. Professor, you're reading it quickly. What have you, <laughs> what have you determined in the past couple of minutes there, sir? Uh, well, it's a lengthy uh, opinion. Uh, it's fractured. Uh, but the key takeaway is that uh, the pro-choice uh, litigants did not get what they wanted, including the Biden administration, in getting this law enjoined. Uh, and many of us felt that it was curious that they were trying to get the same justices to basically vote on the same issue just weeks after they turned down that type of injunction. Well, as some of us anticipated, 
They refused to do that. They, they said that this was improvidently granted, uh, meaning that uh, really this is not the relief that they're willing to give at this point. Now, what the pro-choice challengers do get is a green light to litigate this in the lower courts. And so they can proceed uh, to challenge this law. Uh, the court, you know, broke a little China on both sides of the issue. But what is key here is that this will proceed uh, in the lower courts, um, and all eyes will now remain on the Dobbs case, which is the Mississippi case that was just heard in oral argument. Uh, again, as many of us expected, that will be the case that will likely uh, reframe the issue of, re- of reproductive rights. Uh, and so Texas goes back to Texas, but Mississippi obviously remains in the Supreme Court. I want to bring in Marjorie. Uh, we introduced you a moment ago, but I haven't had a chance to talk to you uh, since this all uh, has gone down in terms of the, the Supreme Court hearing, the Dobbs case, that's the Mississippi case. But now this, out, out of Texas. Um, so you represent Susan B. Anthony List. When your members asked you today what to make of all of this, what did the Supreme Court just say about the Texas law, how would you explain it? I would say it's good news. Um, while there is a pathway for uh, this to continue to be litigated in the lower courts, it's good news because the law will remain in effect, as it has uh, for quite some time, already saving thousands of lives, and we hope more uh, to come. And, uh, and it is certainly true that um, when all eyes remain on Dobbs, which will, we hope, make this a moot point, the reason that there is this curious enforcement mechanism is born of frustration out of years, decades, of not having any pro-life protection enforced uh, that had any degree of ambition in any state. So this that's the reason there's so much focus on Texas. If Dobbs, which asks only one question, is there any pre-viability limit, abortion limit, constitutional? If there is any pre-viability limit that is declared constitutional, then this um, type of mechanism, this enforcement mechanism, will not be necessary. Just the traditional means of enforcement mm-hmm. would be Profe- relevant. So there is a lot uh, in the full piece of audio, and I will have uh, all of the clips that I share on the show uh, on my blog, so you can go ahead and take a listen uh, and watch those clips, and I would encourage you to do that. But I think the biggest thing that I took away from what just occurred is that, well, there is still precedent to litigate uh, this case. It is set up in such a way as to the fact that they are allowing it to stay the law during the litigation process, which I feel is quite a step in the right direction. And one of the reasons why uh, the people that put together the bill put the onus on the people as the mechanism for enforcement of this bill rather than the courts. Because when you put the courts in charge of enforcement, then you have situations, which has always been the case in this movement, where a court will put a stay in an injunction on a bill and then the next court will hear it and decide whether to remove the injunction or continue the injunction, and it goes back and forth through the courts. And And this is one bill where the people of Texas said, hey, this is an issue of life. Let's put um, the power in the hands of the people. And as I've said before on this show, 
If I'm asked whether the power should go to the people or the courts, I'm going to say the people every time. All right, well, as I said, today's episode is the first part of a two-part episode, which will feature 10 of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. As I said in the intro, it's very hard to say that these are my 10 favorite because there are so many different Christmas songs and so many different ways you could go with this discussion. Uh, So this is by no means an exhaustive list. Um, So I have um, numbers 10 through six today as well as a few honorable mentions and again even the numbers are just a way of organization uh not an indictment on how i feel about each song although the ones toward the top of the list are definitely toward the top for a reason so let's get started um by talking about silent night And Silent Night is a classic song. I think I read somewhere that it's one of the most covered songs. It's definitely one of the most listened to songs uh, at Christmas time. And here's a little bit that I have found about Silent Night. It says, Halfway through December 1818, the church organ in St. Nicholas in Obendorf, 11 miles north of Salzburg in what is now Austria, broke. A popular version of the story claims that mice had eaten out the fellows. The curate, 26-year-old Joseph Moore, realized it couldn't be repaired in time to provide music on Christmas Eve. He told his troubles to his friend, a headmaster and amateur composer named Franz Gruber, while giving him as a present a poem he had written two years earlier. Gruber was so taken by the rhythm of the poem that he set it to music, and on Christmas Eve, there was music after all. Moore played his guitar while the pair sang the song, It was the first public performance of Style Night, or as we know it, Silent Night. And it is believed that this carol has been translated into more than 300 languages in the world and is one of the most popular carols of all time. So we start today with Silent Night. Oh, 
So the first song I've mentioned today on the show is Silent Night. This next one is What God Wants for Christmas, and this is a release a few years ago by Darius Rucker. And one of the things I did with this list was I kind of mixed it half and half with classic Christmas hymns and then another half with more modern songs that still speak to me on a Christmas level. And uh, this is what uh, Darius Rucker says about what God wants for Christmas. We sat down and the first thing I did was Google what God wants for Christmas and couldn't believe no one had written that. Of all the Christmas songs and all the ideas people have had, no one had written, I wonder what God wants for Christmas. And that was crazy to me. So we sat down and just the whole time was so inspirational, I think, for all of us. We were sitting there writing the song and it was coming. Every line somebody said was a line we used and it was a great line. So here is a little bit of What God Wants for Christmas from Darius Rucker. Watching snowflakes kiss that baby And it makes me think I wonder what God wants for Christmas Something that you can't find in a store Might be what's on his wish list I wonder what God wants for Christmas And of course, that is number nine on my list, What God Wants for Christmas by Darius Rucker. And I play these samples to whet your appetite and to encourage you to go and look up these songs and enjoy them with your family this Christmas. So that is number nine. And now we come to my first honorable mention of this special, and that it is a fun song called Penguin James Penguin. This is a Brad Paisley original from his 2006, I believe, Christmas album, And Brad Paisley has always struck me as a very good songwriter with a great sense of humor. And this uh, song is no exception. Penguin James Penguin um, imagines that in addition to Rudolph and his shiny red nose, he also needs some secret agent help. So here is a little bit of Penguin James Penguin from Brad Paisley. Well, the reindeer pull the sleigh and the elves make the toys. Those are stories that are well known to all little girls and boys. But I've got another story that I bet you haven't heard. Did you know that Santa has a secret agent bird? James Penguin, that dapper little guy, like a well-dressed 
stuck in a three-piece tux who's Santa's secret spy. Have you ever wondered how Santa Claus keeps tabs? How he knows when you've been good, how he knows when you've been bad. That's Penguin, James Penguin, that dapper little guy. Like a well-dressed duck in a three-piece tux, he's Santa's secret spy. Again, my first honorable mention of the day is Penguin, James Penguin by Brad Paisley. My next one is a Carpenter's original, uh, Merry Christmas, Darling. And I really just enjoy the rich tones of Karen Carpenter's voice. She's one of my favorite singers. And I discovered the Carpenters in high school and it wasn't too long after I discovered the greatest hits record that my brother had that I discovered their Christmas album. And I just really like this song, and I hope uh, that it comes true in my life someday in the future. So here we go with Merry Christmas, Darling. Greeting cards have all been sent. The Christmas rushes through But I still have one wish to make A special one for you Merry Christmas, darling We're apart, that's true song came out it hit number one on the Christmas charts uh, and so that was a very exciting thing for the Carpenters and I just really enjoy that song so there's another honorable mention uh, Merry Christmas Darling by the Carpenters now a few other people have covered it but it has not received the notoriety that the Carpenters version did uh, I was original with them, and I believe the only other edition that that charted was one from Glee in one of their Christmas collections. All right, well, moving on up through our list, the next song that I want to share with you is The First Noel. The word Noel comes from the French word for Christmas, and... From the Latin word natals, meaning birthday. The opening lyrics depict the Annunciation of the Shepherds from Luke 2, 11 and 12, when an angel appears before the shepherds and announced, Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, 
the Lord. This shall be a sign unto you. You will find a babe wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And Gabby Barrett sang this carol on the CMA Country Christmas in 2020. Her version reached number 78 on the Hot 100 that year, the first time the first Noel had ever entered the chart. And I have a little bit of the first Noel here. Um, This comes from Josh Groban and Faith Hill. Groban and Faith Hill and I gotta say Josh Groban is another one of those voices that is so um, iconic and so full of life and it's just so neat to listen to him sing that carol and you know my hope always is when I hear people singing especially the classic Christmas carols that they would take the time to consider the meaning of them and that if they do not know the Lord, that they would come to know the Lord uh, partially as a result of singing these songs. And so that would definitely be a prayer of mine for Josh Grobman. I don't know what his faith background is, um, but if he doesn't know the Lord, I would hope and pray that the the lyrics of a, of a song like that would change his life in such a way as to embrace the Christ of Christmas. And that really is my prayer for each and every one of you listening, too, that you would embrace the Christ of Christmas this year if you have not already done so. Okay, this next song is definitely one of my favorites, and it's called You're Here. And I have been a big fan of Francesca Battistelli basically from the beginning of her career, um, I still remember her her first single, Free to Be Me, and it really resonated with me and was an important part of my 
musical journey, and I've basically just listened to everything that she's recorded since then. She is very sensitive to God, I believe, and that really comes through in her music. And this particular piece is written from the perspective of of Mary and her um, conversations with God. It's kind of... uh, similar in tone and and in content to Mary Did You Know? And this is what what Francesca says about this um, song. She says, It's really impossible for any of us to fully understand Mary's part in the Christmas story from her perspective. But as a mom, I have such a deeper insight into how she must have felt than I did before. Did she know that her son was going to change the world? Did she know she would lose him? How much did God reveal to her heart? No matter how much she knew or didn't know, I'm just so grateful that she said yes to God's call in her life. I can't wait to share Jesus with my kids. And so it it gives me great pleasure um, to give you my number seven choice. Uh, You're Here by Francesca Battistelli, and here is a sample. Jessica Battistelli and I just get really excited when I hear that song and one final uh, little story about this song is that I was listening to the Wally show when she came in and performed it live and when she came in she had her infant daughter at the time in her arms as she is singing this song live in the studio and so you hear some of the coos and gargles of her baby as she's singing this song about being the mother to the infant Christ child. And it just added a depth to the song that did not exist even on the original recording. So I just really resonate with this song. I hope that it is a blessing to you as you listen today. And as I said, with all of these songs, my hope in giving giving you these samples is to encourage you to go back and listen to the whole song because I think you will really enjoy them. 
Well, I have one more song on my official list today, but before I get there, I have a final honorable mention, and this one is called The Gift, and it's sung by Aslan Debison. Now, the interesting thing about this song is it comes from uh, the many years of listening to Christmas songs on Star 105.7. Now, granted, I don't listen to that much today, uh, mainly because they kind of live up to the stereotype often of playing the same 25 or 30 songs seven times a day and not really having a lot of variety. And so I don't listen to them that much. But there was a time when I was listening to Star 105.7 a lot, especially since they were one of the first uh, stations to switch over to All Christmas. And this song would come on frequently, and I really enjoyed it every time it came on. And so I actually reached out to Star 105.7, and I said, can you tell me who sang this song and what the name of it is? Um, Because it it basically um, talks about a a little girl, um, a poor little girl, discovering a mockingbird and um, picking it up and caring for it, and then giving it to Jesus as a gift, giving it to the Christ child. And it just really resonated with me. So here is a little bit of Aslan Devison singing the gift here on the Speaking for Him podcast. A poor orphan girl named Maria was walking the market one day. She stopped for to rest by the roadside Where a bird with a broken wing lay A few moments passed till she saw it For its feathers were covered with sand And soon cleaned and wrapped it was traveling In the warmth of Maria's small hand She happily gave her last peso On a cage made of rushes and twine She fed it loose corn from the market Watched it grow stronger with time So I hope that you have enjoyed uh, these songs. I have one more on my list for today. That's my number six selection, Angels from the Realms of Glory. Angels from the Realms of Glory was first published on Christmas Eve, 1816, in the Sheffield Iris. And the text successfully incorporates all creatures, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, all nations, and all people, in the call to come and worship Christ the newborn King.
And there you have the first half of 10 of my favorite Christmas songs of all time. Now, as I said, this is a very difficult uh, list to compile. Uh, so if you have any songs that you think I missed, you may share them with me with the contact information that's about to roll with the end of the show. And I will be glad to pick up where we left off next week with my top five selections. And I, I think that the numbers do matter a little bit more in this second half of the show. Although, as I said, um, it's hard to put a number on any one of these songs. They all resonate with me. They all were important to me. And even the honorable mentions are here for a reason. Uh, but I hope that this episode has helped you to get focused on the reason for the season, Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the reason that I do what I do here on the Speaking Firm podcast. And I hope that encourages you as you go through your week and or weeks of celebration, um, as well as as you prepare to serve the best of masters in 2022. I'll be back next week with more of my Christmas favorites. But until then, have a great week and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review. 